Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, that it, with the first ever go-home show edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and we are doing this special edition of Getting Over because, of course, it is WrestleMania 37 week. We have a two-night edition of WrestleMania coming up on Saturday and Sunday, and we were not going to pass up the opportunity to talk about the go-home SmackDown and give our final thoughts on the showcase of the Immortals, the formerly named granddaddy of them all, the biggest wrestling show of the calendar year, WrestleMania 37, emanating from Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. Of course, the Silver King is not in Tampa, Florida. He is about eight hours northeast in Augusta, Georgia for the 2021 Masters. Trust me, I am not complaining, though it was a tremendously crazy week of wrestling action already in Tampa, and I would love to be there for WrestleMania if I could. But once again, making it clear, not complaining one iota. Now, I don't want to take up too much time on this show. This is supposed to be a go-home show, a quick you know, synopsis of what we expect to see from WrestleMania. We are going to go over the final SmackDown, which was really in itself, as always. I mean, it's literally what it's titled. It's a go-home show, um, but it was just really mostly to promote WrestleMania. Not a lot actually happened on the show, but I do think there is plenty to talk about. So like I said, we're not going to waste too much time. Uh, I just want to remind you before we get into everything, what podcasts we already have for you to listen to. Now, we could go all the way back to Monday and talk about the Drew McIntyre and Bianca Belair interviews that it would be fantastic if you guys listened to ahead of WrestleMania. Maybe time is short, but the one show you absolutely need to hear if you have not already is our WrestleMania 37 Ultimate Preview. It's about two hours long. There are timestamps. You can skip around from night one. If you want to listen to night one before night one and night two before night two, it is all in one singular episode. And I seriously hope that you guys make sure you listen to that before even you listen to this go-home show. So pause it, go over, listen to that. Also, NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, Instant Analysis, published Thursday night, breaking down every single match from night one and two of that card. So that's there waiting for you, both of those shows. Of course, this is the WrestleMania go-home show. And then Sunday night after night two of WrestleMania is off the air, we will have Instant Analysis of WrestleMania 37. Let's also not forget There's also the possibility that after night one of WrestleMania, if I am able to watch it live, so I finish it the same time as all of you guys, we could do a live instant reaction on Twitter spaces, just like we did after night one of NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only will you be able to join that live show potentially on Saturday night, but you will be able to vote in our pre WrestleMania show poll coming up Saturday early evening and our WrestleMania post show poll Sunday night after night two goes off the air. It's also where we release all of our episodes. We talk wrestling all week. We share wrestling news, including the news that came out today about Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair being the main event of night one with Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley being the first match on the entire WrestleMania card. But that is a lot of stuff we're going to talk about now. There's only one more thing I need to tell you before we do that, though. A reminder to go ahead, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show. It is WrestleMania season. All of these reviews matter. We have put our heart and soul into creating these podcasts for you this week. The Silver King has lost a lot of sleep doing it. I really hope that you can do me a favor, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us those five stars, and write a few kind words 
about your favorite wrestling podcast. But that's it. We're going to get right into it. Joining me, of course, as always, vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, we just finished watching the SmackDown Go Home Show. So now we're going to do a WrestleMania Go Home Show. We're going to talk about SmackDown. We're going to kind of run through in a very quick fashion the card with picks and just kind of last thoughts on everything. We're going to take a couple seconds for each match. Um, What was your overall thought of SmackDown on Friday night? It felt like a go-home show that was all the go-home parts and nothing else. In in some ways, it felt like the kickoff show because we're not going to get a kickoff show with matches on Saturday. This felt like a kickoff show just that happened to be a night before. You had a couple of matches, uh, one title match, but other than that stuff that didn't really matter, you had a lot of video packages. Uh, So that's kind of what it was. Nothing all that important, I guess, other than the tag match, but um, it it was fine. It wasn't great. I, it was whatever. I found it largely inoffensive. And yeah. I actually think I enjoyed it because the state of mind that I was in watching this is, <laughs> man, I am rustling doubt. Like I just, we just went through two nights of NXT takeover. Um, and those were, there's a lot of stuff that happened. Right. And I needed a day to almost regroup yeah. and like not have to like judge matches and <laughs> go through all those things and just kind of sit back and have wrestling tell a story to me. And that's really where I want to start. The storytelling that they gave us in the three big time promos, go home promos from Daniel Bryan, Edge and Roman Reigns, the three people in the main event of night two of WrestleMania 37, that triple threat match for the Universal Championship. So Bryan opened in the ring. He got a huge baby face lead in by Michael Cole, who really was over the top, kind of selling him as a baby face. Uh, Bryan put over his excitement for WrestleMania fans, and he explained how he's known for yes, but has been told no throughout his entire career. He referenced Batista and Randy Orton. In addition to Roman Reigns and Edge, Brian was operating at like 100 on this promo. He was killing it. He said with total passion that Reigns and Edge uh, would get the best and most dangerous version of him ever that they've ever seen, the same guy who won at WrestleMania 30. So I thought that was a really smart callback. Edge in the middle part of the show was sitting in a chair inside the ring going over his love of wrestling how it was ripped away from him. He didn't come back for a greatest hits tour, but to steal the show and main event WrestleMania after missing nine of them. Edge called Brian an indie bookstore clerk troll, sticking his nose in the business of two legends from different eras. He said Reigns is Samoan Edge for replicating his entire career and all his character traits. Edge tried to get Reigns on his side. He said he's been disrespected and explained that WrestleMania is 10 years to the day he retired and he shouldn't have to jump through hoops for WWE to kind of like honor him and put together video packages acknowledging that. And then in the main event segment, we'll talk about what preceded this later, but Roman Reigns came out and he was really annoyed that WWE thought he needed to even sell a main event match at WrestleMania. He explained his show up and win phrase was about him showing up in WWE winning, presumably financially. Uh, Reigns took credit for SmackDown's improved ratings and making the Universal title relevant again. And I thought that was all completely accurate. Heels are always the best when they're accurate. Reigns talked down to Brian and Edge for being dreamers and said he saves careers like he did Paul Heyman's. Heyman's not, Heyman nodded. Uh, <laughs> and then that he gave Jey Uso the best year of his career. And Jey Uso nodded. Reigns used Heyman's spoiler line and said he'll wreck everyone and leave with next year being an even better year for him than this year was. And the whole world would acknowledge him. Chris, I thought these three promos were truly top tier, expert level, MFing, great go home promos that legitimately got me amped up 
for the main event. I can't remember a time where on a go home show and I'm saying that now, but the answer is probably Edge and Randy Orton last year. But I but I truly can't remember a time where three people had such diverse and different promos all going after the same match where you literally finished the show and finished the third promo by thinking, yeah, you know what? Any of these three guys can legitimately be booked to win. Brian was a pure babyface. Edge was a logical and accurate but warped heel. And Reigns was completely egotistical, as he has been since his return. I thought they nailed these three promos. Yeah, all three guys hit their notes exactly right. I mean, Dan O'Brien comes out and he's smiling. I, I mean, to, to start off, his, so it's really it tells you what they think of him that he initially wasn't even in this match, and he's the one leading off the go home SmackDown with the promo and by himself with nobody else coming out. And I, I've said this every week when talking about this feud, but it's really it's really highlighted how similar some of this is to 2014 in the WrestleMania mm-hmm. 30 run, but how much is different. This is not a this is not a Dan O'Brien saying, give me a shot. The people want this. This is a Dan O'Brien saying, I deserve this. I'm I'm here. I made Roman Reigns tap out. I know what I can do. I'm one of the best ever. And it, you've just kind of seen that character grow up over the years, and that's exactly what he nailed with those promos. The Edge one, I thought it it dragged a little bit in the middle, but then when he started really yelling and, and making the, the intense facial expressions about how pissed off he was about this, that's when I really got into it. I, I thought he really turned that one around into a really good uh, promo. It's, it's hard to say what the best Edge promo is, because like you said, all the ones with Randy Orton were, were really good, but everybody delivered their A game here. Uh, in a way to go home. It's interesting because we were wondering, do you, do you do you do a pull-apart brawl? Would there be any physicality? And no, these guys weren't even in the same vicinity of each other. So think about what that says right. about what they think about this main event, that they don't even need to put these guys in front of each other on the go-home show and, and know that they're going to sell it just with their words, and that's exactly what they did. Well, I thought that was a genius piece of booking, keeping them all apart. They actually did the same thing with Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair, which we're going to talk about next. But I just thought it was great. Each of them individually sold the match in a completely unique and different way. You fully believed all of them. You fully wanted to see the match. And, you know, we'll get into it at the end of this. We're going to run through every match extremely quick, but it doesn't change my pick. Does it change yours at all? No, my and if you didn't remember, my my pick is uh well I guess we'll do them later, but my pick has not changed as a result of this. I'll okay, cool. That. So let's go to talk about the women. Uh, Bianca Belair, I thought, cut her third straight great babyface promo, saying it's okay to be nervous as long as you're not scared. A lesson she learned from her dad, and expecting WrestleMania to be the greatest night of her life. Sasha Banks said Belair may be the EST, but Banks is the BEST. And she'll deliver a beating to her boss style that will make Belair realize she's beneath Banks. I also thought it was one of Sasha's best promos in a long time. Very smooth. None of those like jumbled words or anything like that. Just extreme confidence. You know, you could tell it was pre-taped. That's okay. They're allowed to do that. Um, But it was just really, really strong and really solid. But the one thing I couldn't help but think about here was a couple hours ago before SmackDown aired. WWE announced that this is, and they're using the word headline, which is weird, but the headline match of night one, and it will be in the final spot, which by the way, means it's the main event. Like, I don't know why we're playing while we're doing wordplay here. It's the freaking main event of night one. So they're having Sasha Banks 
black woman, again, Bianca Belair, a black woman, for a women's championship in the main event of WrestleMania. That is something to be celebrated, and it's fantastic. And yet, the three men get in-ring promos by themselves where they just get to show character and emotion and really sell the main event of night two. And the women are relegated to a short interview segment where they each get about a minute and a half talking to Kayla Braxton. And I'm not putting down Kayla and I'm I'm not saying that everything has to be perfectly equal. There is a true main event for night two and there is the main event for night one. But we've been talking about how poorly booked that this feud has been. And it's been better the last four weeks. Ever since Reginald left the feud and they actually got into each other, it's been better. But it never should have been about Reginald in the first place. And they wasted a lot of time with that. And now that you're at the finish and this is a main event match, you got to be giving them time. You like, I don't see any, I don't know. They can cut They can make a big package for Big E. They can make a big thing for Sami Zayn traveling to Miami. But Bianca Belair gets 90 seconds backstage. I just wanted a lot more from this, but they did really well with what they had. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think you just highlighted what has been probably the, the, the biggest uh, issue with this feud is that there's just, there's not a lot of heat to it. Because mm-hmm. Bianca's playing the white meat baby face, I'm going to work hard, don't be scared, that kind of thing. And Sasha's playing the overconfident, you're not worth my time type of gimmick. So there's not like, a, there's not a, there's not a edge to them like there is literally with Edge, Brian and, and, and uh, Roman Reigns where they're fiercely going after something. That's just not what these two have had with this feud. And so could there have been an opportunity to, to kind of salvage that with this go home with a, with a better type of go-home promo, yeah, I get why, hey, if the three men are going to be in the ring doing promos, we don't want to have five in-ring promos. Let's do something different. And cutting a solo promo in the ring is not the number one trait of either of these women. We've, we've seen them handle it before. This is, probably, this is probably the best way to, if you were going to handle them in a promo, this was the best way to do it, to do it in an interview style. I know the whole thing was pre-taped anyway, but but like you said, they both delivered really good promos for what they were going to do. But it was tough when you're thinking, man, this is the main event of night one of WrestleMania. And you compare it to the main event of Ronda Rousey, uh, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair, and how much heat there was to that. You had them getting arrested and breaking out of cop cars, and they just wanted to kill each other. And you just don't have that with this feud. And it kind of was evident in the, in the way it went home. That's exactly right. And, and again, you know, it's one thing, I think, when you're on Raw and you're talking about McIntyre and Lashley, and then you're talking about Asuka and Ripley, which was thrown together. It was the Plan C <laughs> women's match because of extenuating circumstances. And if that doesn't get the same build, that's okay. I mean, you understand it, right? But for this not to get a better build and not to be given more time, it's unfortunate. Now, look, here's the truth. If they go out at WrestleMania and they give them the time that is necessary for their match, they don't necessarily have to have the longest match of night one, but it needs to be a match that is long enough where you're getting the feeling that, yes, this is a main event. This is a legitimate match. And these women are allowed to do the things that fans want to see them do and accomplish in this match. If all that happens, then you forget about this. You're never going to think about the build. You're never going to really think about the go-home show again. You're really just going to be thinking about, wow, they had a kick-ass match at WrestleMania. And that's really what matters the most in the end. But we do take an analytical look at this product. And from what we see, 
it's just lackluster. I mean, the whole women's booking for the entirety of WrestleMania has been lackluster. But again, it could all be great on the show. I mean, I don't think the women's tag team situation is going to be great, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But the SmackDown and Raw, they could both have really strong women's championship matches. And I ultimately, I hope that they do. Yep. And, uh, and one other thing I want to throw sure. out about the, the Sasha and Bianca promos. This is more just in general. WWE always does this, and I hate this. They end an interview with the, the wrestler delivering their line, and then there's just like an awkward pause, and they have to hold it for a couple seconds, and then we go back to commentary. I don't understand why they don't have Kayla say, back to you guys, to like keep the flow going, because they did that the previous night on the NXT pre-show, and LA Knight was being interviewed, and he did his thing, and he said, I can do this job. Back to you clowns on the panel, basically. So it like takes you into the next segment of the show and said things always they always just end awkwardly all of these WWE interviews and that was just evident again here as they go on promo it's not it's not specific to this instance WWE always says it this way but it just it was extra evident in this instance that I don't understand why they do it no I think that's a great point Uh, now let's talk about the two matches that were on this show we had the Smackdown tag team title match of Fatal 4-Way Dirty Dogs defending against the Street Profits, Ray and Dominic Mysterio, and Alpha Academy. Now, we thought this match would be on WrestleMania, at least the kickoff show. Instead, again, they're using SmackDown as the kickoff show. The Dogs, by the way, Dirty Dogs, making their first title defense, first title defense in the three months that they've had the championship. Was it really? Right? <laughs> I didn't yeah. know that. Um, I mean, double check that for me while I'm talking, but I believe that is accurate. Uh, so they attacked the Profits during a promo and gorilla position. All four teams brawled as SmackDown went to commercial. And then the damn title match had already started by the time they came back, like they were running out of time or something like that. This was, by the way, a completely pre-taped SmackDown. Uh, They taped it last week while they still have the Thunderdome in Tropicana Field. They've since moved it or they're in the process of moving it to the Yingling Center in Tampa. So this was a completely pre-taped show, as was Raw, by the way, on Monday night. But um, they came back. All of them were in the ring. Only two men were legal at a time in a fatal four-way tag team match, which it just goes to show you. I mean, we talked about the NXT triple threat. Three dudes illegal. That's the correct rule. Fatal four-way tag. All four dudes should be legal with being able to tag. Yeah. It's just, it's the it's a perfect paradigm of the difference between the main roster and NXT. Just easy rules and how, how the matches flow differently. Uh, the dogs were triple teamed and then get tripped up. Uh, onto the middle rope as the Mysterios hit a double 619. Ray pushed Dolph Ziggler out of the ring and Dominic hit the frog splash on Robert Roode, but Otis broke it up. I thought it was a great false finish. I thought that was it. I thought the titles were changing right there. Uh, Chad Gable came in, hit the gut wrench German suplex on Angelo Dawkins, but Montez Ford caught Gable after he landed with the frog splash. Ziggler super kicked Ford out of the ring and Roode stole the cover for the win. It was really surprising to see them retain the titles here. But while I'd have loved to have seen either the Mysterios or the Academy win, and I like the Profits too, but they were champion for most of the last year, I don't really mind the champions being kept strong here considering they've barely defended the titles. And as we talked about, if you were going to put the Mysterios over or give the Academy a really big moment or even the Profits, you're going to do it in front of fans. Who are they impressing in the Thunderdome? It didn't really make any sense to change the titles given the circumstances. It's almost like they booked the match with the intent of putting someone over, and then they realized, well, we're going to put it here because there's no cra- and there's no crowd, so why should we change the titles? That's at least how I took it. Um, but look, the champions being able to look strong and win that match was good. They outsmarted everyone else, and now there's really no true number one contenders for the SmackDown tag team titles. 
Yeah, I had the same thought. At first, I was like, oh, I'm surprised they're not changing changing the trials. But then the more I thought about it, it was, well, you know, I guess it's a kickoff show in front of no fans. And you're right. They have not defended the title since they won it on January 8th. <laughs> so literally three months. Um, they've insane. only even had like a couple of matches as yeah. a tag team. They did, they did lose to Cesaro and Daniel Bryan in February, but that was a non-title match. Um, but just simply not even a lot of matches in general uh, as a tag team since then. So, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Um, get them this get them this win, save it for whatever. I, mostly I was surprised the match didn't go longer. I, I don't have yeah. the time on me, but it was had to be at most 10, 12 minutes. I, I figured, hey, there's not going to be a lot of matches on the show. You might as well, like, really go along and let everybody shine and – they didn't exactly do that, so that was surprising. To be fair, there there was not a lot of extra stuff on the show. They did no. really load it with go home stuff. So, I mean, no, look, this it should have been in the first half hour of the show. I was at that moment, I was surprised. It should have been given fifteen minutes, and there was a Nia Jax to me in a match that didn't need to happen at all. So the truth is, you remove that match, you give the extra three to four minutes to these guys, and everyone's really happy. But. It was good for what it was. Considering it was a retention, I was okay with it not going longer. There was, again, that great false finish of the Mysterios. But um, anyway, there's really not much to talk about because nothing happened. Also, that Montez Ford splash was crazy. He's so good. Yeah, I know. And WWE got the correct camera angle live. They, they did. did it from the yep. hard cam so you could see how high he got live. I, we, I complained well, about it on, so, the, on, on our NXT recap that they so I, often WWE, they use the low shots and then you see the high shot on the replay. They got it right on the first shot. Uh, so kudos to them for doing well, that. Well, again, though, we don't know that they did because it was taped. So they have all that's, multiple camera well, angles. That's true, but they still could yeah. have, I guess, well, and now that I think about it, that was the, it, it was the splash and then the pin, right? That was the final move. Yeah, the splash. So there, I guess there wouldn't have been time to do a replay. Yeah, there wouldn't have been time to do what they normally do. So maybe, maybe no, I don't they did mean it to, right on accident. But it no, was I don't mean no, no, no. I don't mean that they would have redone it. I mean that they have all the camera angles so that if the because usually what happens when they don't catch it is the director screws up because they do so many camera changes and so many flips. Uh, so what I'm saying is they had the other angles. So if let's say the director did screw up in like the live recording, they had the other angle. They just insert it in that spot and they're good to go. They tape everything. They, every single camera tapes the entire show. So they weren't going to screw it up on a taped show. They screw it up when it's live. Right. That's so what I'm getting at. They may, right. So they may have lucked into doing it right this way. I Maybe. Guess. Possibly. I, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So the other match, really, the one that mattered was the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin were the second and third people eliminated, which was just like totally Ugh. depressing. Uh, T-Bar and Mace still on their gimmicks. They actually got a pretty big run in the match. I got to say, give them some credit. Uh, they threw Humberto Creo out with authority. Then they eliminated Elias and Jackson Riker simultaneously. But Mustafa Ali took out Mace and then countered T-Bar to knock him out. Ali and Murphy had like 10 seconds of fun, awesome wrestling that I could have watched for probably an hour. Um, and then Lucha House Party eliminated Kalisto before Grand Metalik took out Lindsay Dorado. The final six people were the exact six that we expected. Ricochet incredibly eliminated Ali. It was really cool what they did on the ring apron. And Jay Uso quickly took out Ricochet. Nakamura eliminated Corbin and was left with Uso, which is exactly what you and I had. I mean, I don't think that it took a genius to understand the two people that needed to be in the finals here, but we nailed it. You know, it's a credit to us. Uh, Uso countered Kinshasa with a super kick. 
but Nakamura came back to hit it. And then Uso countered an elimination by tossing Nakamura overhead, I think with a belly-to-belly suplex, over the top rope for the win. Like I said, this went exactly as expected. I I'm not I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't want to get this wrong. One of us had Nakamura, one of us had Uso. I think I, I had I, Jey Uso. You had Jey Uso and I had Nakamura. Yep. So another hey, another check for the Silver King versus Vintage. Um, but no, the truth is, <laughs> you know, that doesn't really matter. What does matter is Jey Uso's had an incredible year. And this is a feather in the cap moment. Again, a lot of people who do win the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal are people. They, they don't necessarily get huge pushes and suddenly become champions, but they're people that are heavily used in WWE cares about with, I think, the exception probably of Mojo Rawley. Um, so it was a really, again, a nice feather in the cap moment for Jay. He was able to celebrate. They referred to him as main event Jey Uso numerous times, and that led into Roman Reigns' entrance and played right. into... Uso having the best year of his career for the go home promo from Reigns. So I just thought this was great. Yes. And, and I hope it, I hope they didn't give <clears> Jay <throat> the win just so it would fit the main event, just so it could flow into that Roman Reigns segment and everything. They're emphasizing main event Jay Uso. So I'm hopeful that they do have plans for him that's more than just Roman's lackey. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I was happy Jay won. It, it was going to be one of these two guys and couldn't go wrong either way. And, and, um, uh, yeah, good choice, good finish. It was what it was. Th- there were no stakes on this, right? It's just the Andre no. trophy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I never understood why, why they don't yeah. throw in like an intercontinental number one contender or something on it. But it is. You know, you know what would be? It would be really super cool if, like, Biggie Apollo was night one, and the winner of this battle royal got the challenge for either the IC or the US title on night two, and. You know, who, whether it's Riddle or Sheamus or Biggie or Apollo Crews, someone gets that opportunity. That would have been a very cool stipulation, but alas, they do not do that. Five more things really quick on this actual show before we get to WrestleMania. There was a video package of Biggie going back to his Tampa roots in a barbershop, walking around in front of landmarks where he made his mark in the community. Biggie cut a really passionate and believable promo. Uh, they also announced that Wally will do his entrance, Biggie's entrance, which is a song that Wally made for him at WrestleMania. I thought this was a great way to take a look at Biggie and actually feel like he's a real dude. He's not just the caricature that we see on TV. Yeah, no, this is tremendous. This is the kind of thing they should do all the time. With, all the time. With these guys. I, I mean, a lot of this stuff, the barber chair, the stadium, the high school stuff, a lot of this was in his. I, I think it was WB 24. I don't know if it was 24 of the Chronicle, mm-hmm. whichever one is called. Uh, they did on Biggie a couple of weeks back, which is which really is good. If you haven't yeah. seen it, if it's available on Peacock, I guess, go it is. Go watch it. It was really good. Um, yeah, th- just getting out of the Thunderdome to do fun promos and stuff that tell the story of the character. It was great. I wish we didn't. I wish we didn't get it until the night before WrestleMania. But still, it's an example of doing something different and it makes it interesting. Like when Mustafa Ali was doing promos in other parts of Tropicana field, like just getting out of that typical cycle that they're always in. Anytime you can do something different like this, it really makes it stand out. And it, it, it was, a, it gives you a real edge to Biggie and you get to know him as a character and as a person, which is the most important thing for professional wrestling. You got to give a reason to root for these people. And so it was, it was tremendous, tremendous stuff. It's actually even more offensive because they've been in Tampa every week. So there's yeah. so many occasions in which they could have they could have done a series of these 
He goes to mm-hmm. a barbershop. He goes to his old high school. He goes to Raymond James Stadium. Like they could have been doing this for a month. And and you're promoting the city and you're promoting the venue. Like what? <laughs> it, it's some of the stuff that they just don't do is so silly. But to your point, it was unique and it was good for the go home show. And I enjoyed it. Something else they did that was fun. Seth Rollins ran a election <laughs> style super pack propaganda advertisement like against Cesaro, almost as if they were running against each other in an election. Uh, telling people to embrace his vision while shitting on Cesaro for all of his failures. I thought it was hysterical. I guarantee, I don't even know this for sure, but I guarantee whoever made this is the same person who made that Sami Zayn Baron Corbin promo from a couple weeks ago, um, mm. calling it the least anticipated match of all time, whatever. Yeah. These little, like, random, unpromoted comedy video packages have been a revelation for NXT. I mean, I almost called it NXT because it's good. Sorry. I, I, I'm used to just saying everything good is in NXT uh, for SmackDown. <laughs> These are great. This was hysterical. I loved it. Yeah. And like the Big E thing, I would have loved to get like two, three weeks of this where, right. where he builds the campaign against Cesaro going into the match. <laughs> I mean, this is hilarious. And and it was it was such a great way to just get across the same message in a different way. Like that's something WWE's had a real problem with setting up those cards. Some of the matches were rushed. Some of them, we knew them way ahead of time and they didn't know how to keep it going. And so we get either the same promos or whatever. Like you can tell this, you can deliver the same message in a different way. Everything that was in that commercial against Cesaro was the same stuff that Seth has been saying for a couple of weeks, but it's presented in a, uh, with, with a narrator's voice. Who's not Seth Rollins. It's, it's got graphics behind it. It was well done. Uh, production wise and it was great it, it was great and, it, yep. and, and this is another it's another thing it's like oh man i wish we had gotten more time to kind of fully appreciate what this could be instead of 24 hours before wrestlemania starts but yeah again you're right smackdown it continues to be the show that tries different things and and it's why you trust them to get things right because you know they're paying attention to their product they also showed Sami Zayn invading the Paul Brothers gym in Miami, and it seemed like Logan Paul and Jake Paul, I think is the brother, uh, didn't yes. know he would be there. He got all hyped up and excited and then locked himself out of the gym accidentally. They wouldn't let him back in. <laughs> uh, Zayn freaked out on WWE production for only showing selective footage after, not showing that they went out for breakfast apparently the next day. And he just continued to prove that he's truly manic and off of his rocker. Kevin Owens ambushed him for a quick attack, and then it kind of just ended, which I thought was kind of weird. But obviously, they're building for that match. Um, you have anything to say about that? It was pretty quick. It was good. It might change my pick for the match. Okay, we'll get to that, that in a second. Uh, we had Nia Jax and Tamina one-on-one, which was kind of cool to see cousins fight one-on-one. We never see that. Um, Tamina super kicked, and then Samoan dropped Jax, but couldn't get the cover right away. And when she finally got on top of her, Basil broke the fall for the disqualification. I mean, the match was short, but it actually was kind of cool to see them wrestle. And Tamina has looked good recently. I mean, I got to say, Tamina fought Bailey like a year ago at this point, probably 10 months ago. And you're like, why are they putting Tamina in a number one contendership? But that match, it wasn't like a great match, but it was like a three-star match. And I was like, oh, man, Tamina's kind of not bad, like ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. And this team with Natalia. It's really not bad. It's like actually a great use of both of them. And they look dominant and they've been building them really strong. So they had the Riot Squad randomly cutting a promo, getting promo time for the first time in like 
who the hell knows, four months backstage. Carmella and Billy Kay are now together, which they told us in storyline, but <laughs> they put them together the week of WrestleMania, basically. Uh, and Kay was funny, mimicking Carmella's movements. The other team showed up and all 10 women brawled with Natalia and Tamina again coming out on top. They just leveled all these women. They continue to be built really strong. We predicted other teams are going to win this women's tag team turmoil match and then face Tamina and Nia Jax. I'm sorry, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. But shit, you want to talk about changing picks? I mean, we've known that Tamina and Natalia have been built strong, but this was like as definitive of proof as you could ask for. You know, I, I'm pretty sure I actually picked Tamina and Natalia. So, uh, so I, I guess I'm, I like that that happened. But yeah, this is. A number of things going on here. Billy Kay's kind of, I guess, was doing kind of the Mizdow thing with Carmella, which is kind of funny. I, I mean, whatever Billy Kay's doing, whenever she's on screen, it's working. She keeps changing it up and it keeps working. So that, that's that been good. Um, Tamina Naya, it was good for what it was. I got to say, for one, I'm surprised they gave away that on free TV. Like you kind of figured, well, I guess it. I, this is where it kind of, Back to changing picks. Maybe we're not going to get Tamina, Natalia versus Nia, Shayna Baszler. So they wanted to give us Nia, Tamina now. Um, so that's another one that kind of makes me consider changing my pick away from Natalia and Tamina, actually. And the other thing is, you know, I don't know if what the right, right way to phrase this is, but we talk all the time about loving big, meaty men slapping meat, you know, the Hoss fights. And that's what we got here on the women's side. I mean, two, yeah, just two strong strong like beautiful yeah women who could just beat you know the crap out of anybody women smaller than them it was good <laughs> yeah yeah I, there should be a uh equivalency of big meaty men slapping meat but y- we have to say it in a way that is appropriate you know what i mean and yeah. i don't know what that is so if anyone has the female version of <laughs> big meaty men slapping meat whether it's a sound drop a sound drop would be great actually uh, but something appropriate that we can utilize, I think we should. But yeah, it's kind of cool to see Nia Jax and Tamina go up against each other, and it was short lived. And you know, I don't necessarily know that I wanted to main event a pay per view or or be a main women's championship match at a pay per view. But hey, the cousins may have an opportunity to go up against each other for the tag team titles at WrestleMania. And then lastly, before we get to these matches, uh, Sonya Deville backstage told Adam Pearce that she disagreed with a lot of his decision making recently both in terms of the tag team match and the triple threat match between Edge, Daniel Bryan, and Roman Reigns. So I'm not sure if that sets up a scenario where it's like making it clear she's ready to return to the ring and she's ready to get out of like the corporate you know, part of the job, or if they're actually going to double down on that and make Pierce like the GM of Raw and have her be like the GM of SmackDown. But something interesting is going to happen there. Yeah, I, that was weird. I don't really know something's going to happen because SmackDown yeah. doesn't typically put these things out and not come back to them. So it has me intrigued. So let's do it rapid fire here to the finish because we've already done our WrestleMania 37 ultimate preview, which you can listen to that episode. It is literally waiting for you in our archives. It's about two hours. We spend a good amount of time talking about the show as a whole, but then we also break down night one and night two, and there are timestamps in those episode descriptions so that you can jump around as necessary. So night one right now, it's a seven match card. I, they could always add a kickoff show, I guess, but uh, a kickoff match, I mean, but as of right now, they don't have one. The show's going to open Bobby Lashley defending against Drew McIntyre for the WWE championship. So, you know, I guess there has been a little bit of momentum from a fan standpoint towards Lashley, but ultimately, dude, 
it's the opening match of the first WrestleMania, first show period, the WWE's run with fans in over a year. With it opening the show, I just do not see how Drew McIntyre does not win the title here. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, a, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm pick, I picked McIntyre. I'm keeping my pick at McIntyre, but I made the pick figuring he was going to be the guy to close the show. I figured if this match closed the show, it was definitely going to be McIntyre. You make a good point, though, the way it opens. You typically, if you open with a title change, you open with the babyface winning I, I guess McIntyre either way. So, I, I mean, I'm still picking him. I, well, th- I think, think I'm about, a bit, uh, less confident than I was. Think about WrestleMania 35. Rollins won to open the night. Lynch won to close the night. It's the same yeah. idea. So that's, that's where I'm going. Bad Bunny and Damian Priest against The Miz and John Morrison were aligned here. You have to put Bad Bunny over. It seems yep. like he's training. But really, the goal of this is not just to put Bad Bunny over. It's to put shine on Damian Priest. Yep, definitely. And, and, and most what I'm most looking forward to is Bad Bunny's going to do something, some jumping high off of something. And I just hope it all works out okay because we know he's probably been training for that. So I just hope whatever he ends up doing in this match ends up being safe and everybody's okay. But yeah, e- easy pick here. So next is the Raw Tag Team Championship match. The New Day uh, defending against AJ Styles and Omos, Chris. I'm going to let you go first on this one. I actually forgot what you picked. I went with AJ and Omos and I'm sticking to it. Uh, this story does not need the belts. But I think I like what they're doing with AJ and Omos. And this isn't a situation where I think Omos breaks away from AJ and becomes a singles wrestler or anything. So I think he stays with AJ. They win the belts and we go from there. Yeah. So I'm looking at this and and going through my predictions for night one. And when I'm looking at them in this manner, like in a table format, I'm starting to realize that I did not pick any heels to win on night one. And that's not going to fly because you have to have a heel or two heels win Per night. So I'm actually going to change my pick on the eve of WrestleMania and agree with you and go with AJ Styles and Omos winning the Raw Tag Team Championships. We also have a steel cage match, Braun Strowman against Shane McMahon. I mean, again, there is a scenario in which Shane can win because Braun is stupid. Like Braun, we mentioned, choke slams him out of the cage into the table, which destroys and kills Shane McMahon, but also he touches the floor first. So like there are scenarios like that. There are scenarios where people run in to like, you know Riker and Elias help Shane and hold Braun down or something, and then Shane sneaks out the door or something like that. So there are ways Shane can win, but I mean, the booking I think just has to be Shane taking huge bumps and Braun ultimately winning. But the confines of the steel cage make the bumps that Shane can take kind of less interesting. I think what could happen is this may just be like a five minute match where Braun just murders him and then walks out and sits on top of the cage like a monster and roars and does his thing with the train and that whole deal. So Braun Strowman winning. I'm not changing my pick here. Yep. Sticking with Braun. Figure Shane Shane either jumps off the cage into the ring or jumps off the cage out of the ring under the table or something like that. But yep, going to be Braun. We also have Cesaro against Seth Rollins in a singles match, which, you know, certainly can be a match that steals the show if they give it enough time. Enough time means like 17 minutes probably or longer. Now, I picked Cesaro. I believe you picked Cesaro. In storyline, it makes every bit of sense in the world for Cesaro to win. The entire thing is how he cannot win the big one. 
But the one thing that I started thinking about, I was on a show, uh, Nick Costos actually has a gambling show, sports gambling show. They had me on to make WrestleMania picks. And I was talking about the odds for this match. The one thing that makes Seth Rollins attractive from a picking standpoint is in the history of these two men, Vince McMahon looks for every way possible to put over Seth Rollins and not every way possible to bury Cesaro because I don't believe Cesaro's ever really been buried, but he's never given him an opportunity. Like he's tr- in a one-on-one situation at WrestleMania, a singles match. The the scenario of Cesaro beating Seth Rollins is not one that you would think would happen in WWE or through Vince McMahon. And yet here we are. So I'm going to pick Cesaro, but I will not be shocked if somehow Seth Rollins wins this match. Yeah, I, I, my pick was Cesaro. Um, but I think I said this in the ultimate preview. It's certainly possible Vince wakes up on, on Saturday morning and decides, eh, I'm going to go back the other way. I mean, the, the story is clearly built for Cesaro to win. But you're right. I wouldn't rule out Seth winning this match because Vince just decides to. So it's certainly possible. And this is one of those matches where it's kind of like the meta-ness of all of it is weighing over the whole thing. Like if you're a smark of any kind, the story of this match is will Vince McMahon give Cesaro his moment? His moment. Right. It's not will Cesaro win. It's will he, it will he be given the win essentially? So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I think he does. I, I think this is the exact same story they told last year with, with Kevin Owens. Although Kevin Owens was a guy who obviously they, uh, I guess, trust a lot more, but, Pick Cesaro, sticking with it. All right, the women's tag team turmoil match. I'm not going to name all the teams. You guys know the five teams at this point. Uh, I think I picked the Riot Squad. You, who did you pick initially? I picked Natalia and Tamino. Yeah, so I'm not going to. I already changed one pick. I'm not going to get in the business of changing a lot of picks. I'll just say that Natalia and Tamino. We knew even when we taped our ultimate preview that Natalia and Tamina had been booked extremely strong, and that it would make sense based on the way they've been building them for them to win this match. I just happen to think that's a swerve in some respect. I don't. I don't think anyone's getting excited to see Natalia and Tamina against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Although I do understand the purpose of it would be to change the titles to have them be almost an interim champion, like a paper quick champion, to flip it over to another team on SmackDown, maybe the Riot Squad or someone like that. So I, I respect your pick, and I think you are probably going to be right. But I'm not going to change mine. I'll stick with the Riot Squad just for the sheer nonsensical nature of it. Yeah, I I guess I'm not going to change my pick, but I actually, after SmackDown, feel like changing my pick because Hmm. why else would they give us Tamina versus Nia one-on-one if they were going to give it to us on Sunday in a tag match? And you wouldn't think The fact that Italian Tamina were strong again makes me think maybe they've built them up so much that they won't win on Saturday, but... I'm, I'm like gonna, I, I made obvious. the pick. I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, it's like it's almost too obvious at this point. Yeah. Uh, now, and the main event, the headline match, as they're calling it, of night one, Sasha Banks defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Bianca Belair. There's really not much to say here. I have There's two things that are important to me. Number one, we don't see Reginald. Um, I don't <laughs> want him in the video package. He'll probably be in the video package, but I don't want him in the video package, and I do not, under any circumstances, want him anywhere near this match ringside involved showing up on the Titan Tron, nothing, any involvement of Reginald will completely turn me off from this. The other thing is if you're putting this in the main event and 
you've built up Bianca Belair as your Royal Rumble winner, and you've had her do a shit ton of media interviews, including the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, an interview you can hear from this week if you listen to our archives. She needs to win the title. You gotta go all the way. And going all the way in this case is with the EST walking out of WrestleMania, rest EST mania, however you want to say that, as the new SmackDown <laughs> Women's Champion. That was really corny. But Bianca that was a reach. That, that one was a reach. Um, I know. I know. But, but, but uh, it's late. One, one thing I, I, I didn't actually think about it until Kayla mentioned it in their interview is that this is Bianca's first WrestleMania match, and it's the main event. I mean, it's a two night main event. If this was a one night, it wouldn't be the main event. But that's still, that's a heck of a lot of pressure. So we, we talked about Absolutely. this earlier, earlier in the show. My pick was Bianca, remains Bianca, and I hope they, I hope they tear it down. Now, night two, uh, coming up on Sunday, April 11th, we'll start with the Raw Women's Championship, Asuka and Rhea Ripley. This is really tough. Um, Here's why. Both of these women have basically been victimized by the booking of Charlotte Flair, right? Uh, Asuka lost to Charlotte Flair, ending her undefeated streak at WrestleMania in New Orleans a couple of years ago. Uh, Rhea Ripley lost the NXT Women's Championship to Charlotte Flair for really no good reason whatsoever last year. So Asuka doesn't have a WrestleMania win, period. At least a WrestleMania singles win. I don't think she has a women's tag team title win, but I don't think she has a WrestleMania win. Rhea Ripley, literally her only match on a main roster pay-per-view as a singles performer, she lost. Charlotte's not even involved in this thing, which she definitely should have been. So one of them could get the fall over her. And so now you have a situation where you're debuting Ripley, basically, against a record-setting women's champion. On one hand, fans want Asuka to win because they want her to get her WrestleMania moment that she still hasn't gotten. On the other hand, they want Ripley to get not so much retribution for last year because she's not beating Flair, but getting a little you know, energy back in her character because ever since that loss to Flair, she's kind of just been down in the dumps. She never regained the NXT Women's Championship. She lost a bunch of matches in NXT, and she just kind of, her momentum disappeared when at the end of 2019, she won the NXT title in the final episode of NXT, and it was a huge moment. They celebrated her in the ring. She was the next big thing, no pun intended, to Brock Lesnar. So this match, it's like you can't have a loser. And I do wonder if maybe we get a Charlotte Flair interference and something happens and it's a shotgun triple threat, or um, maybe they just do a total schmoz finish here and they don't change the title. I don't know what they're going to do, but I, I think they're in a no-win situation. Uh, because someone has to lose, and I don't think fans want either of them to lose. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation that this was, like we said, plan C, essentially. But to me, I don't think there's a lot of overthinking it. I think they're going to give it to Rhea Ripley. They're going to have Rhea Ripley and Bianca as the champions. They were, they were the two finalists in the Royal Rumble. Um, you know, Paige made her main roster debut and won the title the day after WrestleMania. I think Rhea comes in with her debut beats Oscar for the title and maybe they continue the feud on, or maybe she moves on to Charlotte or, or something. But to me, I think Rhea wins this and I'm, I'd be pretty surprised if Oscar did. Yeah. I would be surprised if Oscar did as well, just because she's had the title for so long. And I mean, it's WWE's fault for not creating challenges for her, but it's gotten yep. really stale. And again, it's their fault, not hers. So it's almost like let's freshen things up in the entire women's division and put two new women over on a really big show. It's a great opportunity for both of them. You add that to Raquel Gonzalez going over at um, NXT uh, TakeOver Stand and Deliver. That's three new women's champions in the span of one week. That is exceedingly exciting stuff. So I think that is a good piece of booking from them. 
Uh, we'll stay with the women, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler against the tag team turmoil winners. So look, I do think there's a scenario in which Jax and Baszler retain the titles because we like them as champions and they're mm-hmm. doing a good job. But ultimately, the pick for me is whoever wins the tag team turmoil coming into night two and winning the titles. Yes. And for me, that's Natalia and Tamina. I, I think they split up Nia and Shayna. They're going to need a deeper women's division. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember what roster they're on, but but for they're either on one, Raw, really. But they're on Raw, but the problem is they're both heels. And if Rhea Ripley wins, as we were predicting, yeah. they don't need heels to challenge her. So and and that's my and that's my thing with that's why I'm also uncertain about Tamina and Natalia winning because then it's a heel versus heel tag match. Right. So I don't know if Shayna and Nia just move over to SmackDown and they figure it out or 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 what. But um, this the singles divisions need more contenders and splitting them up makes sense to do it. So whoever wins the turmoil, I think we both have them winning. We also have the Fiend against Randy Orton in a match that we thought would have a stipulation. They haven't announced one. Maybe they're going to surprise us with something. We're also assuming Alexa Bliss is going to be there. And shockingly, after this thing legitimately main evented the majority of Monday Night Raws over the last like probably three months, they gave us basically no build this week. They aired a video package, the same video package on Raw and SmackDown. That's how they're selling this match. No stipulation, no further storyline development at the in the go home shows. They're just like, okay, you know that thing we've been building? You're about to have the match. Um, I'm shocked that there's no stipulation. There is no way the Fiend loses this after getting burned alive a couple of weeks ago. So the Fiend wins. Fiend wins, but I, I am very concerned that this is not going to be a good match. I mean, I was looking, I've been looking forward to this for a while because the Firefly Funhouse last year was a revelation and it just opened the doors of what was possible in terms of the stories and the way WWE could tell them and to have no really go home special on Raw or SmackDown and to have no stipulation announced or anything really concerns me that we get something like flashing bugs in the ring. Now, The Fiend's going to win, but I'm 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 not looking forward to this the way I uh had been. Yeah, we're people who are positive about this. We like the storyline and we're not really looking forward to it. Not that yes. we're not looking forward to it, we're apprehensive of what we might see when previously I was very optimistic. I'm no mm-hmm. longer that optimistic about it. And that's unfortunate. We shouldn't feel that way going into this. Uh, we also have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. We talked about the storyline earlier with Logan Paul in Sami Zayn's corner. Look, Sami Zayn is a manic conspiracy theorist. Kevin Owens is a guy who just lost a long feud to Roman Reigns. It makes no sense for Sami Zayn to win in every scenario for his character, for um, the feud between Owens and Zayn to give a baby face a win. There's every possible reason that Owens should win. And I have Kevin Owens winning. I picked Sami Zayn originally. And my reasoning was Did Kevin you? Owens is Kevin Owens is bulletproof. He can lose this match and be totally fine. You can, you he's, he's, he's reached that status where you can put him in a title feud whenever you want and it's believable. So I figured this is an opportunity for a guy like Sammy, who's done a really good job with this gimmick, to get it over to kind of give him something to say he's he to, to, to defeat him something. But the Logan Paul, Jake Paul bit on SmackDown makes me think now that this ends with Logan Paul knocking out Sami Zayn in, in in some form after Sammy loses and he blames him or something like that. So I picked Sami Zayn. I, I think he's a good value pick if you're looking at the odds, but 
I think I'm leaning Kevin Owens now because I think that's how the match is going to end based on how things happened with SmackDown. So I think we've each done one flip so far, which you know yes. what will happen. It'll be the other one for both of us. Like it's just <laughs> how it's going to work. Uh, but we each flipped one. So we were getting closer to being of the same mind here. Uh, now, the other two matches, I feel like we should just talk about them together. The U.S. Championship, Riddle against Sheamus, and the Intercontinental Championship, Nigerian Drum Fight, Biggie versus Apollo Crews. These matches are similar, but also simultaneously different. They're different in that Biggie and Crews is a long-term storyline. Riddle and Sheamus, they have a, a extended period of uh, where they fought. They fought on SmackDown after Riddle debuted. They've... Um, fought significantly on raw not not maybe a lot of matches but they've been in and around each other a lot on raw since they both moved over there but you also have two face champions against two heel challengers and wrestlemania is usually a time where faces go over i mean that's generally the consensus of what you do especially in title matches you want fans to be happy and Big E is one of the most over singles wrestlers in WWE. I mean, we don't know that for sure because we haven't had crowds, but we know people love him and we assume that people want him to win. And now on the go home show, they just sold that this guy is from Tampa. So now you have the home crowd behind him. And if you remember, I think the last time that happened was Naomi in Orlando at WrestleMania. Yeah. And she won the title at that show. I mean, maybe it's happened since, but I mean, that's one of the most memorable to me. So, and then you have Riddle who won the title when he... Maybe it wasn't supposed to. It seems like it was originally Keith Lee being booked to take the title off Bobby Lashley. They went with Riddle instead. But Riddle's been good with the title, and the title's helped him. And it doesn't really make sense to take the title off him. And then you have Sheamus, who has lost consistently despite having one of the best years of his career. And then you have Apollo Crews, who finally seems to have his own gimmick that he can sink his teeth into, but he's already lost to Big E three times. So it seems like the challengers shouldn't lose, and the champions can't lose because you want the crowd to cheer for them. So I think WWE's put itself in a tough spot here. And again, these are similar but different situations. So uh, Chris, I don't want to like hedge. I really don't. I don't even remember. I think I I think I picked both of the faces to win, Biggie and Riddle. But what I think is going to happen with them both being on the same show is in one of these matches the face champion will retain and in the other match there will be a title change and the heel will win. I don't know which is which. I could t- I could make arguments for why Sheamus should be the heel to win and why Apollo Crews should be the heel to win. I just be- beating Biggie at home in front of that crowd at WrestleMania when you're seemingly trying to build him into a main eventer really doesn't make sense. So maybe Sheamus is the one who makes more sense. But that is how I'm looking at these two matches. You, you can't be a Nigerian character, create the Nigerian drum fight, and then lose the match. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it was also weird. We didn't get a explanation. I didn't see. It's basically yeah, we did. It's, it's basically every, anything goes is what they're. Saying. Okay, I must. I maybe I missed that. I, I saw. Maybe I missed that. What they but, explained yeah. is that what they explained is that it's called a Nigerian <laughs> drum fight because you beat your opponent so hard and break their bones and they make so much noise that it sounds like Nigerian drums. I, was this tonight on SmackDown? No, this was uh, last week. Oh, I guess I missed it. Weird. Either way, I've got Apollo Crews winning. Um, Biggie's a guy who I think he can lose and move into the main event if they want to for the Universal title. They probably won't because they've got a lot going on there, but he's a guy. He'll be fine. I think Apollo Crews gets a win here. I think Riddle gets a win in the U.S. belt. So you talk about a face and a heel. 
that was my pick in originally this weekend. That remains my pick. And last but not least, the main event of all of WrestleMania, the triple threat for the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending the title against Edge and Daniel Bryan. Again, I thought all three promos on this go-home show were really good. It did nothing to change my pick. I have been leaning recently in the direction of Daniel Bryan. I initially thought Bryan was going to get added to the triple threat to take the fall um, for Edge so that Roman could drop the title without Edge beating him and then they could have a few down the line or whatever the case. But man, I, I just I completely changed my mind a couple of weeks ago. I think Daniel Bryan's walking out with the title. I stand by that. I think it's the right piece of booking. You could have Reigns at the end of the show stand there with the title and get booed into oblivion, presumably, or maybe get a smattering of both. But man, it's a WrestleMania. Again, the first show in front of a crowd in over a year. I think you want everyone cheering at the end of the show. And the only one of those three options that you can guarantee universal cheers at the end of the show is Daniel Bryan walking out as champion. See, I I think, and I said this in the preview, I think Edge would get cheered. I, I think Edge will get cheered if he wins, even if he pins Daniel Bryan. He's 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 reached that status where he's always going to get cheered no matter what. So uh, my pick originally was Edge. I seems pretty clear that was the plan from the beginning with Roman and Edge and Dana Bryan kind of forced his way in there. I don't think they deviate from the original plan. I think Edge comes out. I'm rooting for Dana Bryan. I would love I would I'd love for Dana Bryan to win. Honestly, I think Roman Reigns should win, but I think Edge is the one at the end of the day who ends up as a winner. We did go through an extensive breakdown of who we thought will win, should win, and who we would book to win on our WrestleMania 37 Ultimate Preview, which again, these are very quick discussions about these matches. We got into great detail on that show, so you should listen to that instant analysis. Now, there is one more thing I want to discuss before we get out of here. There's actually two things to discuss. One of them is the WWE Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about that on our show after WrestleMania. So Tuesday morning, we will tape a show after the Raw after WrestleMania, and we are going to go talk about the WWE Hall of Fame along with the Raw and any extraneous WWE-related items coming out of WrestleMania. But before we wrap up here, as we were taping the show, WWE officially revealed the set for WrestleMania 37, the entire thing. So what we are going to do on this show is pause briefly. Chris and I are going to watch this video. And we're going to give you a true instant reaction to it. And that's what we're going to do right now. All right. So we just watched that. And man, it's great. I mean, I got to say, the set looks fantastic. There's a huge screen over a portion of the upper deck across from the hard cam side that's probably going to look incredible on TV. I don't know if they're going to use like Thunderdome people in there, but I'm guessing it's more for graphics and logos and stuff like that. That looks really cool. You have the entire pirate ship with cannons that are pyro. Uh, tons of screens. I think it's the best WrestleMania set they've had, I guess, since the New Orleans one, probably. I thought the uh, WrestleMania New York set two years ago was horrendous. I was there for yes. it. I was so disappointed. It was basically like all shiny and black with one huge screen. It was almost like there was no thought put into it. I mean, I know they did a lot of like VR stuff and and graphic stuff and, and animation, but I want a set. Like I always love pay-per-view sets and this goes back to that awesome Mardi Gras that they had at WrestleMania in New Orleans and some ones that they've certainly had previously. The one in Orlando a few years ago was incredible. I love this. I think this is a great looking set. Yeah, it's I mean, this is clearly a the stage. The front part of the stage is, again, giant screen, but it's curved screen 
with mm-hmm. different things. So, so it, instead of just the one flat screen, um, I'm a bigger fan of getting props and stuff in there. Like you think about the roller coaster that they had in Orlando and, and stuff like right. that. So, right. um, but they love screens, man. They love screens. And to their credit, they do a tremendous job with them. I can't wait to see what they do with that entire upper deck covered in a screen. I mean, like yeah. sometimes when like USF football plays there, it'll just you might see it covered in like a tarp or something. And it's just just like plastic tarp over. They cover that whole thing with with LED screen. That's going to make for great uh, photos above the stadium, too, I'm sure. So they do really good stuff with screens and I'm looking forward to it. Uh uh, but I'm also a, a fan of sets that are unique to kind of where they are. So I'm, I'm curious. I like the pirate ship that they have back there and what they're going to do with that, um, well, as opposed to just having screen. Well, what's cool about it is they molded them together. So like they they took a pirate ship and screens and put it in, in one yeah. as opposed to only doing screens like they did at yeah. 35, which, again, I hate it. So I like the set. And a little spoiler alert for everyone. I saw a tweet going around. WWE is also doing something that. I'm forgetting what country did it. I want to say it was China during the Beijing Olympics, like opening ceremony and stuff, but they're doing coordinated drone graphics that are going to air during the show. So I saw one that said, let me in. I saw one that was Bianca Belair's lips. So they're really going all out with the technology. They want this to be a spectacle. I'm sure Peacock does as well. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty amped up for WrestleMania right now. I, I, the drone graphics, I think they did that for the Lady Gaga Super Bowl show, too, a Maybe. couple years back. I, I'll be a much bigger fan of drone art and stuff like that compared to the augmented reality WWE often does, where they have like what looks like a graphic inside the arena. They, I mean, they do that on SmackDown and Raw right now. It looks tacky. The, the, the lighting is off on it. The NFL was doing that five plus years ago. It's not like a new tech. It's not that good it doesn't look good i'm excited to see what this drone stuff like looks because that's better than kind of what they've been doing yeah i mean i think certainly for wrestlemania you can do this for most other things you probably are not going to do that right no yeah but i would the, just not i would just not do it on the tv show though. yeah i, I think i think there's selective situations like there's certain ones i think like the nikki cross and alexa bliss when they were the tag team and they had the smiling faces of those are pretty cool right but the one where it was just like a big dog like barking yeah. and then Roman Reigns, like his body, like jutting his like crotch out into your face. He, he looks um, like a statue. It's weird. Right. Like those are so unnecessary. Like you don't need to do those uh, riddle when it was his sandals. I mean, that was maybe okay, but, um, and, and the birds now I actually think people hate the birds. I think they're really funny for it. It's a joke about him getting high and flying high and stuff. And the, his name is bird Travis on the U S championship. So I don't know a lot of it. I like, I guess is what I'm saying, but not all of it. There are some that are certainly far, going way too far. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, virtual reality graphics in WWE. This was a WrestleMania 37 go home show. We hope you listen to it before WrestleMania begins. There's only going to be about, I don't know, like a few hours where this uh, can totally live before night one. But I'm going to get it up right now. We're going to get going right now. A reminder to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. A reminder to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five star rating and review to let people know how much you love this show and do not forget sunday night as soon as night two of wrestlemania is off the air the silver king adam silverstein vintage chris vanini we will be back with instant analysis of both nights of wrestlemania 37 with that the silver king is going to leave you with three final words as we move into the showcase of the immortals bye for now